Welcome to Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee, a podcast brought to you by the Tennessee Initiative for Perinatal Quality Care. TIPQC exists to improve health outcomes for mothers and infants in Tennessee through our quality collaborative that will identify opportunities to optimize maternal and infant outcomes across our state and is funded under a grant contract with the state of Tennessee. The Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee podcast is designed for medical professionals and for patients and families across the state. We will focus on all aspects of the perinatal period with special attention to reducing our maternal mortality rate. This podcast is brought to you through a cooperative agreement with the Alliance for Innovation on Maternal Health. Welcome to Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee podcast brought to you by the Tennessee Initiative for Perinatal Quality Care. I'm Brenda Barker, the TIPQC Executive Director, and we are continuing our conversation with two very special guests, Dan Weiss from the Illinois Perinatal Quality Collaborative, as well as Teresa or Terry Scott from QC. And so I want to welcome both of you for a continuation of our conversation around data. Dan has been working with the Illinois PQC and North Shore University Health System since September 2017. He's the Director of Data and Operations. He has a master's in public health as well as a concentration in maternal and child health. And Terry is the QC Data Manager and she received her master's in biostatistics from the University of Michigan. And she has been on our Tip QC operations team doing our data since May 2009. And we are just so excited to have both of you join us again for a continuation of our conversation. We had just learned more about why data is important, about how to collect data. We were talking about different ways of showcasing that data, what that might look like to hospital teams. I'm just going to bounce to... Dan, is there any other recap that you would like to start out today's conversation with? And welcome. Oh, thank you for having me. When we're talking about run charts, on the last episode, we were talking about the ability for hospitals to be looking at insights and PQCs to be looking at their performance in real time and not just after the end of an implementation project. And one thing I would like to add for the PQCs developing data systems for their sites to look at real-time performance is really also the importance of developing reports and run charts and other types of charts where sites are able to not only look at their performance in real time on a monthly basis, but also finding ways for them to compare themselves to either the collaborative itself in aggregate the ability for those sites to compare themselves to hospitals of similar perinatal levels. And then also a longer conversation, really thinking about ways to go deeper under the surface of the iceberg (laughs) metaphor I'm going to use right now, where not just looking at all of the patients in aggregate, but finding ways for sites to not only collect race, ethnicity, and language data accurately, but then being able to stratify or disaggregate their process and outcome measures by race and ethnicity and insurance status in real time, or as as real time as possible for them to be able to understand if the improvements they are making are being done equitably for all of the patients that they're serving. So I just wanted to mention that those are some 
important considerations when developing reports for hospital teams and sites is thinking about those considerations. Absolutely. Thanks. That was a good add-on and highlight of our last conversation. And I do know one thing we also want to look at is the patient and making sure our patients are a part of all the work that we're doing. And the work that we're talking about now, the reports to the hospital, super to have your patient family partner as well uh, join you on that. Terry, any recap from what we talked about last time? And then I'm going to ask you to jump right in and tell us more about ways to showcase or show that data that makes sense. Dan had already mentioned run charts. Terry, any highlights? And then tell us more. So to piggyback on what Dan was saying, obviously being able to compare your hospital's performance against other hospitals is important. And being able to do that real time is important, but also being able to kind of shamelessly steal from other hospitals in terms of what are you make, what changes are you making? But even in terms of data, what are some data barriers? How are you able to get around some of those data barriers? And, and one thing to chime in that I think some collaboratives have found is when they are comparing hospitals, Sometimes you, you do want to compare it to the average of the other hospitals, but sometimes it's even better to compare your hospital to the best of the other hospitals. Because sometimes comparing each hospital to the best of the others will actually even motivate them even more to go you know, higher and above and beyond than just the average. And getting back to Dan's discussion about really breaking it down to the, the patient level, not just looking at all the patients, because you know not all of your patients are the same. There are differences across our parent patients, whether it's by race and ethnicity or social other social determinants of health, like insurance status and things like that. And not only looking at the data, but even to be able to look at the data, that way you have to be able to collect the data using that additional data. And, and sometimes it actually, when you're wanting to do a quality improvement project about some type of maternal outcome or infant outcome, but you do want to be able to break it down and say, do we have equal care, equal outcomes, and we do not have any disparities in our different groups of patients, you actually realize that the way you're collecting race or ethnicity in your EMR is not necessarily optimal. And so sometimes a quality improvement project leads to another quality improvement project around improving how your data is collected. But yes, being able to break down and disaggregate, as Dan was saying, your data, whether it's your outcome measures, your process measures, by certain stratifications, whether again, it's by the race or the ethnicity of the patient. Sometimes it's by clinic. So maybe you have multiple clinics in your hospital that all provide the same care, but there are going to be differences potentially in that level of care, in that, in that kind of improving of that care, or maybe it's AM shift, PM shift, you know, or it's newborn nursery, or it's NICU, whatever it may be. So when you are designing the quality improvement project, and you're thinking about what affects the outcome and really understanding your process and your system, you may realize that, yeah, this is going to be really important to make sure that we're improving it across all of our clinics, all of our providers, all of our physicians, whatever it may be. In terms of looking at your data, not just through run charts, there are other you know, ways, things that are sometimes called a Pareto chart. A Pareto chart is kind of looking at what most impacts your outcome. It's Again, it's hard even with, with your mind to kind of picture some of those things, but there's lots of different ways. The, the one thing I, I did want to mention 
is when you're looking at your data and you're trying to improve and you're looking at your run chart and you're seeing that, oh, look, we're showing improvement, but we're still not where we want to be. We're still, you know, maybe 20% of our patients are still not receiving that care or getting that outcome measure. We're still having failed cases. One of the things that often happens with QI is you then look into those failed or those missed cases and you try to understand what about those failed or missed cases? Is there anything in common that could lead to another test of change? Again, maybe it's a clinic group that didn't receive all the education, or it's that particular patient group that didn't receive that education. Or maybe you start seeing that, yes, the, the, the patients who are not getting that outcome that we're going for are of a particular race or ethnic group. So it's important that when you're looking at your run charts and you still see that you haven't reached the improvement that you want, that you're looking at those cases that didn't quite reach it and you're understanding kind of a breakdown of what still isn't happening in the system that should be happening in the system to make us improve even more. So not necessarily a visual way of data, but a way to digest your visual data on the run chart to understand what still needs to be done. That's such a great that's such a great strategy and we do that as well. The the missed opportunity reviews or, or or brief debriefs. It's a really great way to bring it down again, like you were all saying, to the patient level and start understanding for the patients who didn't receive optimal care, be it during our hypertension initiative, patients who didn't receive timely treatment for severe range hypertension or for our opioid in pregnancy initiative, patients who we're not connected to medication-assisted recovery, really looking at individual cases and understanding patterns and trends about why they were not receiving that care. And really then the QI team at the site is reviewing that data. But then the, the kicker is then them providing feedback to the clinical teams and saying, hey, we've reviewed these cases and these are the things that we are noticing to really do that feedback loop. So the QI team reviews the data and then brings it to the clinical team doing the boots on the ground work. One other thing I wanted to just piggyback on what Terry was mentioning when it comes to other data visualizations is we do definitely use the individual hospitals compared to the highest and, and poorest performers. So instead of having our x-axis where each tick on the x-axis is a month, we will almost like do a magnifying glass on one month and split up all the hospitals as individual bars for one month or a quarter for any key measure. So for example, for our Promoting Vaginal Birth Initiative, we have for any given chunk of time, we will show each individual hospital's computed NTSV C-section rate so that we can see the curve of performance for every hospital in that time period and see teams that are below the NTSV Healthy People 2030 goal, as well as hospitals who are above the NTSV 2030 Healthy People goal. And we keep it de-identified and hospitals have unique codes where they will know what their bar is. And that is a great way to not show it over time, but say, hey, boom, at this one point in time, this is the distribution. And you can look at it over a few points in time and say, hey, this is how that curve has shifted. And, you know, we've been working on this for a year and a half. And, you know, there are still 15 teams that are above the goal. And then the other kind of thing you can look at is for those teams who may still be above the goal, 
how can we still encourage them? Maybe they're above the goal, but they've made like a 20% improvement. So they were even higher above the goal, but the, you know, how do we celebrate the fact that they may still be above goal and they're still working on it, but they still have made incremental progress towards that goal. And so I just wanted to chime in with some of those additions to what Terry was mentioning about looking at a cross section of time. Absolutely. Well, let's kind of change directions. And I know a lot of our hospital teams are wanting to use their EMRs. And tell me, Dan, I'm going to start with Dan, and then I'm going to bounce to Terry because I know she's just done an EMR guide for a quality improvement project. But how can we use the tools we already have, like an EMR, to help us in quality improvement data collection? I am very interested in seeing that guide, Terry. So we'll have to talk after this. But I will say, especially with an initiative that we are transitioning into sustainability now, we've really worked with teams to build strong partnerships with their HIT or health information technology and EMR teams. So our Babies Antibiotics Stewardship Improvement Collaborative, which, you know, we're in public health, we love our acronyms. So our basic initiative was really working to help teams reduce unnecessary initiation of antibiotics for babies within 72 hours of life, as well as stopping antibiotics with a negative blood culture within 36 hours. And you can imagine our data collection definition was a little robust in the sense that hospital teams were collecting data on every baby that received antibiotics within 72 hours. We were not doing a, a random sample of those charts. And so, you know, we have some hospitals that see, you know, 12,000 babies a year. And even though not 12,000 babies were receiving antibiotics, big chunks of them were receiving those on a monthly basis. And, you know, we really wanted to make ways for teams to not come at us with pitchforks and torches to do manual chart review of every baby receiving antibiotics. And so we really partnered hard with provider champions who have strong relationships with their with the EMR folks at their hospitals to come up with strategies that the whole collaborative could use to really make data collection and clinical decision support embedded into the EMR. And so how can hospitals work with their IT teams to get monthly reports of the patients that fit the criteria as opposed to clicking individual records. And so that's a way for if a hospital has 100 babies receiving antibiotics, they can get a, a report out of all that data and it can enter it into our REDCap IOPQC data system much easier. And they can spend, the goal is to spend more time looking at the data and driving change and less time collecting the data. And so we're really trying to help them optimize that. Terry, how about you? Tell us about your ways to help teams to use that EMR and the EMR guides you did. So as Dan was saying, data burden is a huge thing with QI. That you obviously have data that your providers, your physicians, everyone is documenting in their EMR. EMRs are great for documentation. EMRs are not necessarily great for getting data back out and getting data back out quickly and easily and accurately. And when it comes to quality improvement, sometimes quality improvement at an individual hospital can be fairly straightforward because you know your process, you know your EMR, you know how your data is captured and documented in your EMR, so you know exactly how to pull it out. When we start talking about a quality improvement project that we're going to try to implement across a state, 
then that's where a lot of things start falling apart. Because even in our state of Tennessee, we have five or six different EMR systems across our state. We have ones where the mother's record doesn't talk to the baby's record. And so you can imagine if you're trying to have 30 to 40 some odd hospitals or higher, I'm sure, in Dan's situation in Illinois, work on the same quality improvement project, you have to have data definitions. You have to understand the processes and how they may be different across the hospitals. You have to understand the EMRs at the different hospitals and how they may be different. And so as a quality collaborative, as the ones providing support to all of the hospitals, we need to be able to communicate to those hospitals and say, this is the measure. This is how it's defined. This is how we would recommend pulling it from your EMR if you can. Using these types of queries or these types of logic, we want this patient population. We want this patient population excluded, that type of thing. And as Dan was saying, there's a lot of prep in QI in terms of doing either what you would call, Dave, you know, Dan said the, the, the wave one, or we what often at TQC would call a pilot phase. So it's where you get things up and running. You have some of the hospitals test out the data collection, the data pool, what's working, what's not working. Is there too much burden? Is the data you're getting accurate? And so through that pilot phase, through that wave one phase, I'm sure Dan gets it too. You have a lot of frequently asked questions. Well, when you get this type of patient, are we talking about this type of patient too? And what about this type of episode? Are we including it, excluding it? What if a woman has two hypertensive episodes in the same hospitalization? Do we count each of those? Do we only count one of those? And so the EMR data guide, I'm sure it could be named better, but it is just that cumulative communication of what are our outcome measures? What are our process measures, our structure measures, our balancing measures? Who is our target population? How do we expect the data flow, the process flow, all of that information to, to happen? With a lot of QI now, we're starting to involve pulling data using claims data, using ICD-10 codes. And that can also be really, really, really tricky because ICD-10 codes you know, are only as accurate as whoever is documenting them and billing them, but even knowing which ICD-10 codes to pull for, say, labor induction or an ICD-10 code to pull for a severe maternal morbidity type of outcome, knowing that and using those same definitions across hospitals and in your collaborative really isn't going to allow you to do those comparisons that Dan was saying of one hospital to another. Because if you're not, then one hospital could be pulling their data completely differently using a different patient population, using different ICD-10 codes, and all that you're seeing is counts, is numbers. You're not actually knowing that process of how the data is pulled. And so the EMR data guide just sets up all of those definitions, all of those expectations, all of those common logic, the common flow. So when all the hospitals that are participating are all doing it the same way, then you know when you're looking as a state or comparing hospital, 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 you're comparing apples to apples and you're not making grossly incorrect conclusions because you're comparing very different data. Well, thank you both. I, I know that without good data, you don't know how you're doing. And so that's really helpful information. I just wanted to stop and ask both of you as we kind of round up two episodes of these podcasts on data, what would be your most important advice or takeaway that you might give QI teams regarding their data? Dan, how about we start with you? Awesome. So I think this is probably a suggestion or advice that's 
that covers data, but also QI initiatives in general is celebrate the small wins. As we mentioned, I think on this episode and the previous one, these, these a lot of a lot of the process and outcome measures are going to take some time to change, and so not only celebrating the fact that you may a team or site has put in the systems changes, but really, really, if you're, especially if you're slogging through some really hard strategies that will take a while, really making sure that you're celebrating the incremental pieces because you may not see the outcomes that that you are seeking right away. And, you know, just like how one shouldn't be weighing themselves every day expecting to see weight change, looking at your data every day expecting to see massive shifts is not always going to happen. And so it's really looking at it over time and having a good understanding and annotating your interventions to understand when you were doing different changes so that you can celebrate and then understand the full trajectory of your QI initiative. Thanks, Dan. Terry, what thoughts do you have? Sure. So to me, the two words are are patience and discipline. (laughs) Because with QI, as Dan was mentioning, something's not going to change overnight, especially when you're looking at a a very complex system. And you're going to need to have the patience to be working at the test of change to see if they are actually making improvement. But you also need to be disciplined. Very easily, teams want to rush in and throw every possible change at the problem all at once. And you're you're going to overload this. You're not going to know which actual change led to improvement. Where if you take the time to really understand the system, understand your process, understand the failures before you get started, to set up those data family of, you know, those families of data measures to really understand who's going to collect it. When are we going to collect it? We're going to start looking at it over time before we start making tests of change. Again, that discipline of having that patience to really set it up, set it up. Well, where are we as a system right now in our baseline? Then we start making individual tests of change and seeing and having that patience to see it out to see if that change actually leads to improvement. And okay, that one didn't lead to improvement. We move on to the next one, to the next one, to the next one. So all of that kind of wraps up. And like Dan said, in that meantime, celebrate those small wins. Oh, look, we're seeing improvement. Okay, well, let's build off of that one and do something more and see if it actually leads to an additional improvement. Because a lot of times the individual changes only lead to so much improvement, but when you put them together, it leads to more improvement. But unless you know them individually, you won't know them together. So to me, patience and discipline and really think through everything. Don't rush in because so many times you rush in to a QI project thinking you can solve it overnight And then quickly you realize we've got to take a step back and restart and really take our time and figure this out. And Terry, that brings me to my final question for both of you. Once you've done that great QI work, you've seen those improvements, it's sometimes you can just kind of let it slide. And unfortunately, you lose those improvements. It's not sustained. So any tips either one of you have on sustainment? So sustainment is difficult. From a data perspective, sustainment is still periodically looking at your data 
even after the project ends. So maybe not on a monthly basis, but maybe at once every quarter, you kind of go back and you pull the data and say, have our numbers, you know, where are we compared to where we ended at the end of our project? There's other things that you can be doing in terms of just kind of re-education. So, you know, an annual education, making sure those those things that you knew really made the difference last time are still in that annual education. But looking at your data periodically is really going to be important because if you do see that data start slipping off, you'll be able to jump back on and say, okay, well, obviously we made some improvements, but we really didn't change the structure, the system enough to really make those improvements stick long-term. But I'll let Dan chime in. Yeah, we that's exactly what we do. As we wrap up an initiative and it's what we call an active phase, we develop a sustainability plan that we ask our sites to complete and it asks documentation of things you were just saying terry what is their plan for continuing a new higher education how are they going to ensure their systems changes are monitored over time and then also we crowdsource some of the feedback from the sites what are the key measures you all want to keep your eye on during the sustainment period There's obviously measures that we as a collaborative think are important, but we also want to get feedback from the teams what they want to keep their eye on. And then we will pare down our data collection form, hide questions in REDCap, pare it down so that they're really focusing on the key measures that they want to keep an eye on in the sustainment period. And it's tricky because our collaboratives are not one health issue. So... What's going to happen is we're going to have a new shiny quality improvement initiative coming on the horizon. And so a lot of times with the smaller hospitals or even some bigger hospitals, their devoted quality folks or their nurse champions are going to have to make a decision. Are we going to continue to look at sustainment data here or are we going to join the rest of the collaborative on the new process? And so just like Turi was saying, making sure there's a documented process about how often we're going to look at the data. Who's in charge? You know, if we're rolling out a new initiative with our collaborative, you know, do we have the champion from the previous initiative be responsible for keeping their eye on it? And then if you're logging into the data system and your team or site sees backsliding on a key sustainability measure, what is your plan to bring that to the attention of your QI team or department to make sure that you're addressing it as opposed to just not logging in and looking at it because if you're again if you're not measuring it or not monitoring it you can't you can't move it super those are great suggestions and it's so important to sustain those gains well just as we close out any other last minute items you thought of you really want to share final thoughts and then we'll wrap up today terry how about we start with you no not any major last minute thoughts other than QI can be overwhelming and it's tough. No one says it's easy, but if you do go back to, as I mentioned in in the first session, you know, doctors and nurses kind of take an oath to do no harm. And it really is, you're trying to improve your care. You're trying to improve what you do on every single mother that you see, on every single patient you see, every single baby you see. And I think sometimes going back to that, will help motivate your team and your hospital in terms of wanting to make those changes to make an impact on your care, on your outcomes. It's it's not necessarily a dollar money thing. It is a 
these are patients, these are people, and, and we want to do the best by them. Thank you, Terry. Dan, how about you? Final thoughts? Yeah, the, the thing that I like to say and think about is that, you know, we're all in this together. PQCs, you know, follow the sharing seamlessly, stealing shamelessly mentality. We work we worked with you all and reached out when we were developing initiatives. You've reached out to us. You know, we're all, you know, throw out all the sayings you want, not reinventing the wheel, you know, et cetera, et cetera. We're all in this together. And so really relying on the National Network of Perinatal Quality Collaboratives or NMPQC as, as, as a group of people who have experience and don't feel shy reaching out to our site, our collaboratives or others who you may see on their website have done a similar initiative to say, hey, how did this work for you? How would you have done your data collection differently? What did sites really enjoy about it? You know, we're all in this together to improve health for the perinatal population. And so we want to share our lessons learned. We're not, this isn't proprietary work. We're trying to learn from each other. So that's, that's one thing I'd like to share. Thank you. And I know that our audience has really learned from both of you today. I appreciate so much your time and the work that you're doing. And as Terry said, your focus on improving health for our moms and babies across our state and really across the nation, as Dan mentioned, the National Network of Perinatal Quality Collaboratives who work together with all the PQCs. Again, thank you. This has been another episode of Healthy Mom, Healthy Babies. We hope you will join us again next week. Thanks, Dan and Terry, for two super podcasts. It's great to be with you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee, presented by TipQC. TipQC is funded under a grant contract with the state of Tennessee. Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee is brought to you through a cooperative agreement with the Alliance for Innovation on Maternal Health. Do you have ideas for a future guest or topic or even have a question you would like answered on upcoming episodes? Visit www.tipqc.org, that's T-I-P-Q-C.org, and click on podcast to submit suggestions and questions to our podcast team. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast to be the first to know when new episodes are available and find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube to stay in the loop with our active projects and other relevant news relating to perinatal health in Tennessee.